Every minute, every moment counts. Hello, I'm Julie Hyde, and I understand what it takes to make these moments count for leadership, business, and your life. This podcast will deliver insights and game-changing leadership moments that will allow you to level up and shine a light for those around you. Let's get into today's episode. excited to be here with the super savvy Sally Coates, who I first connected with on LinkedIn and now call a friend. So Sally has always had a passion for retail, which was ignited when she was 12 years old. And since then, Sally has led large merchandise teams for top performing ASX listed companies, including Woolworths Australia, West Farmers and David Jones to drive growth and customer advocacy in three-plus billion-dollar businesses. She's also held CEO roles in various SMEs, leading these businesses through turnaround and growth and implemented strategies to ensure that they have a sustainable future. And in 2020, she founded the Retail Mentors, an international network and community for those in the retail industry developed to creating, shaping and influencing the future leaders of retail and the retail businesses of the future. So you can certainly see that passion play out through all of her life. So welcome, Sally. Thank you, Julie. And thank you so much for having me. That's an amazing introduction. I don't know who that person is. It's so funny when you hear it back. You're like, who is that? But um, that is you. And I'm so excited to get to jump into our chat today. So shall we get started? So this podcast and the essence of it is called Making It Count. So what is the one thing that you are doing to make it count in your world? As you mentioned in the introduction, Julie, I started the Retail Mentors just as we were in the sort of midst of COVID. And really it came about because I'd been getting a lot of people getting contacts with me, people that maybe had worked in one of my teams in the past or people I knew who were going through some hard times. And it wasn't necessarily just COVID related. It was also around feeling quite stuck in their careers, stuck in their jobs and being really just confused about what the future looked like for them. So I did the best I could to help them. I gave gave them the time and the support that I could. But what I also thought was how much they would benefit from talking to somebody outside of me who might be able to give them an alternative insight that might also give them some guidance around what that future could look like. So I spent a lot of time scrolling the internet, trying to find networking groups or communities that might have, you know, catch-ups or meet-ups or whatever that might look like that were really specifically directed towards those in retail and I couldn't find anything. So I thought I can continue this this trawl or I could just start something myself. So I worked with someone who was a close friend of mine who was also experiencing the same thing where a lot of people were reaching out to her and we put something together really quickly that would be able to make mentoring more available for people outside of their, their network. So the Retail Mentors was basically born. The premise behind it is bringing people together to give back as others potentially have done for them or even that didn't have that opportunity as they went through their own retail career and wished they had and offer themselves as mentors to others within the the retail community and give them the guidance and support to deliver and achieve their own goals. So now as of today, 
It's been around for about 18 months and we've got people across six countries that are involved in the program and that stems from the mentors and the mentees. And it's kind of like a matching process. So they people come forward with their skills and their experience as mentors. You know, that we meet with them and we talk to them and understand what it is they can offer others and then do the same process with the mentees and then match them accordingly. It's such a great initiative. And I think because, as you say, like one of your passions is to really reignite retail and I think the focus on the future leaders of the industry is really important to keep that excitement going and to understand how they can keep, you know, the customers really excited about coming back and people coming into, you know, shops still. And because, you know, the retail world is changing. And I know you've written a a really great article about, you know, has retail become boring? You know, I I love what you're doing in that space. And that was another reason why I felt retail mentors was needed because as you say retail has become quite boring and you know it can also stem from people's experience themselves in working in retail businesses that might not be listening to them or supporting the ideas that they have but also two people are becoming incredibly safe with decisions they're making they're more focused on you know the financials but whilst we all need to be, we also need to be really clear on customers and what customers want, but also to offering them things they don't even know that they they wanted or needed because everyone wants an element of, of surprise. So it was also around trying to ensure that that, um, I guess, sense of excitement over being a part of an industry that is an incredibly hardworking industry and, and also to, to show people that there is the opportunity to have a long-term career in retail, as I, as I did. I started in a shop when I was 14. I'm much older than that now, and I've always worked in retail, and it's a pleasure. And it's it's a fun, it's an incredibly fast-moving industry. And, you know, I've met the most amazing people, have the most amazing friends that I've met in the process. And just to be able to keep that alive and support people that want to learn is, is, is such a privilege as well, I would say. The people that I get to meet and play a part in their future, I just find to be, as I said, an absolute privilege. And if I can help anyone in any way, I'll, I'll go out of my way to do so. And that's so amazing. And such a powerful space that you've created for people to come together and, you know, to share their, their highs and lows and to also feel validated about how they're feeling. Yeah. What's good about it as well is you put them together with people that are outside of their network. So they have that ability to have, you know, an honest vulnerability around how they feel because the person there supporting them is there in a genuine capacity because they want to. They want to support this person. They want to do everything they can to enable them to achieve their goals and they've got nothing to gain from it. All they've got to gain from it is, you know, what they can give to that person to help them and shape them and be there as a sounding board for them. But what I'm finding is uh, the mentors are getting as much out of the process as the mentees. And and I, I, I for one, am, am one of those people as well. I, I mentor people as well. And it's such a great experience because I learn something from every conversation I have. So, Sally, you are a woman at the top of your game. And as I mentioned in the intro, 
you've been a CEO, you've led large teams for top performing businesses. And during this time, you were also suffering some severe emotional abuse by a former boss. So we never know what's going on behind the scenes, do we? Can you tell us a little bit about that situation, also how you got your power back? Yeah, I I was in a situation a number of years ago. Um, I'd moved quite a distance for a role that I'd been headhunted for, which I saw as a a great opportunity to work for a business that was under quite an extreme transformation. It had been a very strong business in the past. It had somehow lost its way. And I had been recruited to be a part of that change process, which I felt, you know, it would be a great opportunity because I knew that brand very well. And it was very interesting because I was quite relentlessly contacted for, for a role in this business. So when I started there, it was quite interesting because you were sort of, Uh, I guess a little bit like that lovely introduction you gave to me, you were, you know, communicated as this amazing person who's going to come in and change the world. And, you know, I felt like, wow, what a privilege to to lead this team. But quite quickly, you know, I went from, you know, the star of the show and, you know, my colleagues were absolutely no different. They were also touted around as as that as as well to, you know, the, the biggest problem child in the business. And it was difficult. It was relentless in in the sense of we would get, and, and, you know, I need to just also make it really clear that the experience I had was not just mine. So I wasn't a target. It was actually a way in which a particular person acted. So my colleagues, unfortunately, received the same behaviour as I did. You know, very quickly we would be, you know, just constantly given a barrage of emails, we would be called on weekends, we would be emailed on weekends, and we would be, you know, abused for not responding quickly enough. I was working 80 plus hour weeks, and it was exhausting. And really, what it was, was we weren't sort of united to turn a business around, we were literally just running around putting out fires that had been lit by, you know, a very emotional leader. And What I realised really quickly was that I wasn't successful, I wasn't doing what I had been, you know, employed to do. I wasn't there to turn a business around. I was there to to sort of follow the orders barked at us. And I started to feel quite negative. But what I realised as well is the feelings I was having reminded me very uh, similarly of an emotional relationship that I'd been in and when I left that emotional abuse I said to myself that I would never allow myself to put up with that again because it was something that took me a long time to realize I was actually dealing with and when I started to feel like that working in this role I thought well I promised myself that you know I can't I won't go through that again thinking I would only potentially experience that in a personal situation and unfortunately it was experienced in a professional one and said to myself, well, you made a promise to yourself, so you need to remove yourself from the situation. So I spent the weekend deciding, I went for a very long drive, and I said to myself, you, you have to do the right thing by you, and the next day I resigned. Now, unfortunately, a lot of other people don't have the same opportunity, 
and, and I'm in the same situation that I was in. I was single. I had no major, you know, financial obligations. So I was able to react that way. And, and it wasn't a, an emotional reaction. It actually took some time to get to that point. But what I realised was I didn't want to be a part of something that was actually around putting you down, not bringing you up. And, you know, we're hard, we're hard enough on ourselves and I didn't need someone else to, to be harder on me than I was on myself. So I walked away from that situation and it felt like you'd walked away from a bad relationship. So, yeah, it wasn't ideal. Um, as I said, you know, it wasn't just me. And one thing that did unite myself and my colleagues was the fact that we were all going through the same thing. Doesn't necessarily make it easier, though. You weren't enabled to do your role. I mean, how could you? when you were receiving, you know, barrage of abusive emails or texts and just someone belittling you, which goes totally against the grain of how you lead, which you've mentioned in terms of lifting others up and empowering them to be the best they can be. So I can imagine that is an incredibly difficult experience and I totally thank you for sharing that because I know that people, you know, learn through other people's stories and often, as you said before, you can feel like it's only you in that situation. And I know you had your colleagues who who were with you, but you can feel very isolated and that people, you know, wouldn't understand you know, there's benefit in others hearing this story and, you know, you can translate this across across many things. And it's great that you identified and recognised that promise that you made to yourself and didn't allow that to continue as well. I think that's very courageous because often when we are in this those situations, we can revert back to old strategies, like old survival strategies rather than taking the brave step to move forward? Yeah, my, my first trigger was I could see myself retreating. So I could see myself retreating in meetings or, you know, more public sort of forums because I didn't want to allow myself to be exposed. I didn't want to be seen because I thought if I'm seen, then I'm going to potentially be targeted so I'll just hide over here in the corner and I'm not someone who retreats from anything so when I saw myself doing that I knew there was a problem. We are all leaders but you cannot be a leader of others unless you are a leader of self first. Over the past two decades I've empowered hundreds of leaders to deliver positive impact to the business they are representing resulting in extraordinary sales growth and high staff retention rates. I'm often asked the question, how can I work with you, Julie? Here's how. I present one-hour keynotes to corporations providing practical tools and strategies for leaders and their teams to take control of busy, to be intentional with their actions and achieve the high performance results that they're looking for. I also work one-on-one with a select few ambitious and courageous leaders who understand the key to creating their success starts with them. So if you'd like to connect, you can find me at juliehyde.com.au. What did you learn about yourself from that experience? Like, you know, and you would have, as you did, you'd have to take yourself out of that to be able to look back and go, what did I learn from that? 
I learned, look, I learned a lot of things. I learned that you have to, if you make promises to yourself, you need to stick to them, and I did. The other thing that I definitely learned was to remember and know your own self-worth. So whilst someone is going out of their way to make you feel worthless, you aren't. And that's the other thing I had to keep reminding myself of. I had had a very good career up to that point. And, and to be honest, I was doing well there. I was doing what I had been asked and so much more. And I started to allow the negativity seep in and question how I felt about myself because I was allowing someone to do so. So I had to remind myself that my own self-worth was incredibly important. Another thing I realised about myself, and I had thought it was a strength at one point, but it wasn't at all. I always believed that if you worked really hard, then people would recognise it. And at times they do. But what I also realised was I was up against people who continually would brag or sprout around the things that they achieved on a daily basis, whereas I was the quiet one over there just getting stuff done. And I think the other thing I would say is you're compared to those people. So I should have been more vocal around the things that my team and myself were achieving. But I guess each achievement is usually compared to a financial outcome and a lot of achievements don't have a financial outcome. And I would say to others that that isn't bragging, that's actually just putting forward the achievements of your team, which you should be proud of and you should do that more often instead of being like I was where I just expected people to notice. Sometimes people need to be shown and told. I love those messages and hopefully, you know, if there's someone listening who's going through a similar experience, they can take that away because it is so easy just to buy into the bullshit that you're being told, which is from someone who makes himself feel better by making others feel worse. And to your point, just because it happens to many, as it did in, in my situation where I wasn't the only one, doesn't mean it's okay. No, it's definitely not okay. And using leader to describe this person is a term I, I definitely would not leave, <laughs> not use. But this is the power, like this is the power that we have, not only as leaders, this is the power that we have as humans because we can absolutely bring others right down. We can cut people down or we can lift them up. And more often than not, it's through the power of language. And if anyone is going through something similar, Julie, I would be more than happy for anyone to reach out to me if they needed someone to talk to who might want to talk to someone who's been through that themselves and, and what you, we can, you know, just work through what might be great outcomes for them. So if anyone did feel that way, you know, they're more than welcome to get in touch with me. Oh, that's incredibly generous. Thank you so much, Sally. And thank you for sharing your story. I know it's like, it's it's tough to, to share those, those things, but it, it's also, I think, a positive thing to talk about as well. Yeah. When you're ready. It has to be when you're ready. <laughs> <laughs> now... I'm not sure if this was after this situation, but you conquered two ginormous mountains after, you know, stepping away from that massive challenge and that being Kilimanjaro and you also got to the base camp of Everest. Now, I think you're crazy, but I'm really interested. What drove you 
to decide that you're just going to take yourself off and climb these mountains. I wanted a holiday where I couldn't get any phone service, so it seemed like a good idea. No, I'm kidding. Actually, it is a really good way to get away from technology. I uh, went to Africa to Mount Kilimanjaro first, and the decision to go there was a was a weird one. I was someone who went to the gym in the morning. I I get up early. I would go to the gym. And I got to the point where I, I had no reason to go. I had, I had no goal. I didn't know why I was turning up there. It was just like a bit soul-destroying. And I was talking to a friend one morning at the gym who'd just come back from, I believe, South America, and he had summited an enormous mountain over there, and he'd done quite a, a few treks that are similar to that. And I actually was just asking him some questions. I'd known him for a very long time. I was just asking him some questions to be nice. And look, I was interested, of course, as well. I just said to him at the end of it, oh, what's next? Because usually people that do things like that then have another plan. So I said to him, what's next? And he said, oh, Mount Kilimanjaro. I said, oh, that's nice. He said, um, I asked a few more questions to literally be nice. And then he said, oh, you sound interested. Why don't you come along? And I said, oh, God, no, I don't even camp. So no thanks. Anyway, I got home that night. And that conversation replayed in my mind. And I thought, oh, well, maybe that could be an option. What what does it involve? So I Googled Mount Kilimanjaro. And I realized really quickly, because I was quite fit at the time, I realized quite quickly that the biggest issue I would have would be dealing with altitude. So then I Googled how do you handle altitude and off we went. And I then kept sort of going down the the Google rabbit hole and found that you could train in altitude rooms and there were a lot of different ways in which you could prepare yourself for something like that. So I went back the next day, I asked him some more questions and he's like, oh, what's going on? You seem interested. I said, no, still not interested. Went home, contacted a gym, asked them about how I could actually prepare myself and um, went back the next day and said to the guy, okay, I mean, here's how much deposit do I need to pay? I didn't have anything. I didn't have a backpack. I didn't have boots. I had nothing. I had, and also I had no idea. Funnily enough, I called my parents that weekend and um, my father answered the phone, which was very rare, and I told him my big news. I'm off to Africa. I'm going to climb a mountain. He turned around to me and said, a little like you, why would you do that? You don't camp. You go, to, you go to beach holidays. I said, you know, you know, it's something I'd like to try. I feel like I need a goal. And he said to me, yeah, good luck with that. I'll get your mother. And um, so my the, the main reason for doing something like that was I felt like I needed a really big audacious goal that put me out of any form of comfort zone. But the other thing was I really was interested in the process of preparing myself for that. And I really wanted something that I could strive for. But the other thing that was really important was having having a really clear plan around how I was going to prepare so that if I did get to a point in that climb that I did become too ill to keep proceeding, that I was comfortable and confident enough to say that's okay and turn around and come back and that nothing, I couldn't, I couldn't have done anything else to prepare myself better for that. It really was, the reason I did it was it gave me something to strive for that wasn't professional. It gave me something else to focus my health and well-being on. It, it gave me an opportunity to experience all these things I'd never done before. I, I didn't even know an altitude room existed. I didn't know any of these things. And and I, I thoroughly enjoyed every moment of that preparation. 
and it just taught me all these things about my body and myself and the things that are important around preparing yourself for something that to me didn't feel like such a big deal. I felt like it was a bigger deal to other other people than myself. Um, but yeah, look, it, it honestly was one of the most amazing experiences that that I've ever had. And like you said, I then did that and then did another one. I went to Base Camp Everest, and I have already got my plans for my next ones because I love I love the experience, I love the preparation, and I love the fact that your phone doesn't work. Oh my god, you go, girl! What's the next one? I've got a I've got I've actually got a list and there's about five on the list and I wanted to do Mont Blanc in Europe but there's only so many months of the year that you can do that. I'm looking at potentially a hike in South America at Christmas. Wow. So we'll see. We'll oh see my how we go. Goodness, good on you. I mean it's it's funny how you say, "Yep, I'm just going to do it." Not a whole lot of research into the actual climbing, but the preparation, which was key for you, because I was a bit the same when I decided I was going to go and do the Middle East, which was my first trip ever overseas, and travelling through Turkey, Syria, Jordan, Egypt by myself, sort of really roughing it, never really camped before, didn't have a backpack either. You know, would I have done it if I knew what was what I was in for, probably not. <laughs> um, the experience was absolutely sensational. However, I, I haven't gone back to do another one because <laughs> I know what's coming up. It, it's like um, when you fly to start your base camp Everest climb, you you fly in a small plane from Kathmandu into a place called Lukla. I didn't realize when we land and they're tiny planes and it isn't. It's a little scary, but you just you know just concentrate on looking straight ahead. And when we landed, everyone was clapping and, you know, cheering. And I thought, oh, that seems a little bit extreme. And um, what I didn't realise was that airport is classified as the most dangerous airport in the world. The runway is, oh, I don't know, less than 100 metres long. It has a stone wall at the end of it. Yeah, I could see why they were happy happy that we landed safely because the chances of you not landing safely were pretty high. <laughs> Lucky you didn't look into that. Oh, exactly right. Well, it would have turned you off straight away. So, yeah, we made it in and out. So we were we were very lucky. That's good. I'm so glad you made it. Is there anything in particular that you learned about yourself through those experiences? Oh, definitely. Particularly my first trek. What was what what it really taught me about myself was I spent a bit of time not being overly focused on goals because. I felt like I'd been like that for such a long time that I needed a break. And it seems it seems pretty funny, but I was always, you know, what's my goal? Achieve my goal. What's my next goal? Achieve my goal. What's my next goal? And then I felt a little bit exhausted by that. So I thought, why don't you just be? Just have some time where you can just be. And what I realised was that's not me and it makes me feel quite rudderless. It makes me feel like I don't have a purpose and those goals don't have to be big audacious goals. They can just be, I want to go for a walk each day. But what I realised was that's re- that was really important, that structure and that plan was really important for me. So as soon as I, at the time I had a, a career goal and I was on track to get to that point, so that felt, that felt comfortable. And what I then needed was something else and having this goal of, of attempting and my my goal was to attempt to summit Mount Kilimanjaro because 
I wanted to be sure that I was comfortable with decisions that might have been outside of my control. And that was the altitude sickness. If you get too sick, you have to turn around and go back. And I had to be 100% comfortable that, that I could do that and be comfortable with that. What I learned from myself was I do need goals and that doesn't need to always be big ones. And I need to just have a really good plan around delivering those goals, but also too to be comfortable that you might have to redirect those plans as you progress through them. I love it. Did you celebrate? Do you celebrate your goals when you achieve them? I would say probably not. (laughs) I probably should, but I probably don't. I guess in that case, I I do remember getting to the top of that mountain and it was absolutely freezing. It was like minus 40 degrees. You couldn't see, you couldn't see it 30 centimetres in front of you. It was awful. And I remember feeling incredibly overwhelmed by getting to that point because I had been very ill. It had been very hard. And just, I think it was sort of the magnitude of, everything you'd put into going there. I, months in that altitude gym, months of, you know, killing myself to get ready. And and then you were there and it was just like, wow, this is it. So I did feel quite overwhelmed. And then when you start going down, you're like, oh no, that's it. <laughs> you know, it's over. I need a new one. I'm not, I'm not good at celebrating and that is something I need to do better at. But certainly through all of your journeys up mountains it certainly demonstrates your you know full-on determination your absolute courage and your persistence in wanting to achieve something for yourself and that's you know really strong qualities that you are role modeling for others and allowing them to see the possibility for them so you know many of us need to get a little bit better in terms of celebrating our achievements but I love how you know what works for you and what what anchors you or what gives you that rudder to enable you, you know, to, to steer your ship towards the course that you want it to go rather than sort of wafting around according to the tide. So I think that's really, really important. Look, it takes time, doesn't it, to work out what's right for you. But the one thing I worked out a really long time ago was we are all so different and what is right for me is not necessarily right for other people and you know I respect that so I never have the same demands or expectations of others that I do on myself because I I just I have different goals and I have different aspirations and if anyone does have the same goals then you know I support that and I'll do anything to to support them but if others they want to just plot along or whatever's whatever's right for them then I support that as well so I think that's another really important thing to remember that we are all different and we need to respect that as well yes we certainly are and I think that's a really great note to finish on Sally and I've really loved our conversation today and thank you for being so generous and so open in sharing your story and thank you for everything that you're doing to make it count for so many people through you, your generosity and just your will to enable others to shine and to really step up and, and to shape our future leaders, which not only I'm thankful for, but I know many, many people around you will be really thankful for. So thanks, Sally. Thank you, Julian. Thank you so much for having having me. And, you know, to, to sort of, I guess, speak up from what you just said, I, I see it as a privilege, if I'm really honest, because 
there's so many people that need help and want help. And if there's a way that I can connect them to somebody who can offer them that, then it is, it is a, it's an absolute pleasure and it's a privilege as well. Amazing. Thank you, Sally. Thank you, Julie. Thank you for listening to today's episode. And I trust that you enjoyed leaning into one of the precious moments shared. I invite you to leave your thoughts as a review in support of this show. You can also share with your network and even rate and review it. I would appreciate that feedback and connection. I'd love to connect on LinkedIn or Instagram via my handle, Julie Hyde Leads. Until next time, live and lead intentionally and make it count. Make it count.